to NeuroPodcases, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. To get the most out of this episode, we recommend downloading the supplementary case notes which are available on Vital. Here you'll find more information about the case, including history, examination and investigation findings. We hope you enjoy listening. My name is Sarah Healy and I'm here today with Dr Mills, a consultant neuroradiologist at the Walton Centre. Today we're going to discuss some cases with the imaging associated with it. The case will be discussed on the podcast, but should you wish to review the images with Dr Mills' commentary, the meeting will be uploaded onto Vital for a review there. So Dr Mills, we just talked through the first case. So a 45-year-old man presents to the emergency department with a new headache. He's never suffered with headaches before, but over the last month, he's been having daily throbbing holocephalic headaches. When at work, the headache suddenly worsened and he was encouraged to come to the A&E department. Examination reveals weakness of the right arm and leg with slightly brisk reflexes when compared to the left. His cranial nerve examination and the left side was normal. Given the new headache and the neurological deficit, a CT head is requested by A&E. So, Dr. Mills, what, what do you think about this CT head that, that we have here? So, first of all, we've got this is a non contrast CT head, so it's just a plain scan of the patient's brain. We've got an area of hypoattenuation, so it's a little bit darker on the CT that's involving the left temporal lobe, which extends up into the left frontal lobe. There's also some midline shift, so the left lateral ventricle is flattened by the mass lesion and half the brain sort of shifted over a little bit as well. So I would say there's an underlying mass lesion here and I'd be worried that the patient had a tumour. Right, okay. So how would you go about assessing a mass lesion on a scan? So the first thing, the brain's very useful. It's it's symmetrical, which makes it quite easy for radiologists. You've always got another side to compare to. Um, So I can see that the brain is not symmetrical on this image and that we've got areas that are lower um, signal on the scan, which means it's less dense and there's more fluid in that area, so there's edema in there. Then I look at the ventricles as well, and I can see the ventricles aren't symmetrical, and the the lateral ventricle on the left has been compressed, and if you look where you'd expect to see the midline of the brain, that's shifted over to the right-hand side now, so that tells me that this lesion's got mass effect with it. That's sort of the easiest way of looking at a scan to start with. Right, comparing the two sides. Yeah. If I was to be an A&E reporting or requesting this scan, uh, what clinical information would be important for me to relay to the radiologists kind of on site looking at this to, to help them interpret things? So it's really useful to know if the patient's got any previous history. Have they, are they known to be epileptic? Are they HIV positive? Are they any other medications at all? Is there a history of previous malignancy? You know, Am I looking at a metastasis rather than a primary tumour? I have to think about potential tumour mimics as well. So is there any possibility the patient might have an infection and this might be an abscess? So if they've got a history of maybe a recent ear infection or dental treatment can sometimes make us think about these things or other conditions such as sarcoid or if they're on any drugs that might increase the risk of things like PML. Right, oh, that's progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, isn't it? That's um, yes, it something is, yeah. that, that we see sometimes at Walton but might not be seen that often um, no. in other places. But, so it's, but that's one of the things we think about if they're HIV positive, possibly if they've got demyelination, on, they're on tisabri. 
or some of the um, anti-rheumatological agents as well, the anti-TNFs, can increase the risk of that. So an important differential to think about really with some with certain patients. Yes. Okay. So um so how important would you say radiology is when considering the investigation and then management of brain tumors? Well, it, it's vital really because the surgeon isn't going to operate on a patient without any imaging at all. All we've got so far is a CT. So the next step I would say is not to give contrast for the CT but to do an MR scan. And that's what happened to this patient the next day. So I'll just bring up a couple of the images for that for those that are watching the video. The thing about MR is we do a series of different sequences and all these sequences can tell us different characteristics of the tumor. So it helps us lesion characterize as well as precisely lesion locate. So um, things like the T2 weighted sequence are very good for looking at fluid within the lesion and the T1 weighted sequence is very good for looking at hemorrhage. Hemorrhage is okay to identify on an MR scan, but as we've already seen um, in the acute setting, we normally do a CT because it's, it's readily available and it's very rapid and it's quite good for hemorrhage. But an MR scan will help us age blood if there's different ages of blood product in there. It will help us look for calcification, which we can see on T CT, but it looks slightly different on MR scan. It can help us try and decide whether the tumor is a low grade or a high grade primary tumor. We can also use imaging characteristics on the MR to determine whether it's likely a primary tumor or more likely to be a secondary metastatic deposit because of the location. Metastases tend to occur at the gray-white matter junction, often are small and have a lot of edema associated with them, whereas primary tumors tend to be either more cortically based or deeper based, and they have less signal change around them. So, um, so looking at this gentleman's scan, does it does it show some of these um some of these features? Is it is it easy to or is it are we able to differentiate whether this is a primary or primary tumour or a metastasis here? So this is a very large tumour and I think if I measure it, which I will do for you now, so those that are watching the video can see it, but I'll just say that the maximum transaxial diameter on the T2 weighted sequence is about six centimetres, so that's quite large. And then the signal change around it, so this is the T2 bright stuff around that lump of tumour, isn't particularly extensive. So it's a big tumour with very little surrounding so-called edema, which makes me think it's more likely to be a primary. And then if we have a look at the pre and the post contrast, so there'll be two sequences here. One sequence is a non-contrast T1 weighted sequence, and then another sequence is a post-contrast sequence, and we've given gadolinium contrast agent for MR scanning. And I'll just scroll through these images, and you'll see there's a little bit of high signal on the pre-contrast on the T1, which may mean it's bled a little bit. But when we've given the gadolinium, the lesion lights up and enhances. And that's because there's breakdown of the blood-brain barrier. And this tells me that this is an aggressive and very high-grade tumour. And I would say radiologically, this looks like a GBM. Okay. So talking about contrast and talking about breakdown of the blood-brain barrier, that's, that's where contrast is really useful, is it, in terms of um, helping classify and differentiate different mass lesions? Absolutely. If, if, if we're looking at primary tumours, the low-grade tumours tend not to enhance. Occasionally they do, but usually, as routine, they don't enhance. So they're the tumours that are less worrying some. Um, they have longer survival associated with them. They still require surgery um, sometimes, for, which will help reduce the risk of turning them to higher grade in the future. 
but they're not as worrisome as a high-grade malignancy like a GBM. A GBM's prognosis is about 13 months with maximum um, best therapy, that's um, chemotherapy, radiotherapy. Um, so it, it helps us determine that this is a much more aggressive tumour and we don't really have time to sit and wait. And the surgeons would probably operate on this within a week or two weeks max. Okay. And so you mentioned that with um, with with the with the tool of radiology, kind of the surgical surgeon's job is much easier than it used to be, given all these different modalities we have now. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, and we we do help the surgeons even more sometimes and use intraoperative MRI as well for some of the tumours, so they can operate on the patient and then take out as much of the tumours as they possibly can, or take the maximum resection, and then they can check before they close up that they've got out as much as they think they can or if there's any small amount left that they can go back in and resect that all in one sitting. Um, so radiology has really changed the way neurosurgery has been done over the last few years. We can use imaging techniques to see whether the tracts are destroyed or just pushed to one side so it can alter how they approach surgically the, um, the patient because obviously you don't want to take out a lesion in the motor strip and destroy the motor strip because that would have more harm for the patient if you can take it out via a different approach or use a different technique. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly.